It's Tuesday, November 20th, and this is The Daily Dive. Thanksgiving and the holidays are upon us, and that means that some of the best and worst things for people are also here, seeing all your family. It can be difficult getting together with a lot of people and managing all the conversations and expectations. My producer Miranda joins us for a few tips on how to avoid or at least minimize the family drama. Sometimes it's fun to sit back and enjoy it, but sometimes you also have to just hug it out. Next, hundreds of residents in Tijuana, Mexico, turned out to protest the arrival of the migrant caravan of Central Americans making their way through to the U.S. The message is similar to what President Trump is saying. We do not have enough resources to support you while you wait for months to be processed. Alicia Caldwell, immigration reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us to discuss the icy reception in Tijuana and what's next. Finally, we are still going through the tightest job market in decades, and as companies are on a hiring spree for the holidays, many people are getting hired sight unseen, just after a simple phone interview. Companies are providing candidates with a fast and easy process, trying to get them before someone else snatches them up. Chip Cutter, reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us to talk about the easy way to get a job. Just pick up the phone. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. I'm a break taker. So before I had my daughter, I would be the one who'd like go to the bathroom and just sit on my phone for 25 minutes and be like, where's Miranda? Oh, uh, right here. I'm right here. So that's my that's my <laughs> thing is I'll go sit at night. I'm a hider. Joining me now is my producer, Miranda. The holidays are upon us. Thanksgiving is here. Christmas and New Year are just right around the corner. It's a thing that people love and hate at the same time, I think, is the influx of family that you have to see during during these holiday times. And I always love these type of discussions because it happens every year, especially in the field that we're in, in radio and podcasting world. It's like, how do you handle the family when they're coming around? How do you deal with uncle so-and-so who gets too drunk? Or how do you deal with <laughs> aunt so-and-so who's going to fight with you about something? So I always love these types of things. Elizabeth Bernstein at the Wall Street Journal, one of our favorites, she wrote up an article about how to deal with family members. So Miranda and I want to talk a little bit about that and also how we deal with some of this stuff. What are some of the best ways to deal with family drama or just how to get along with everybody even? Elizabeth did a really interesting thing when she wrote this piece. She could have consulted with top psychiatrists about how to deal with the psychology of blah, 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 whatever. And what she really did was reach out to her readers and say, how do you deal with it? Because these are methods that are tried and true and in practice by normal everyday folks. So one of the top ones was that you can change your reaction. So you can't control how other people behave. You can't control how they treat you. But what you can do is control how you feel about it. And she spoke to a woman named Loretta Bruning, and she says that family dynamics still come into play that were in effect when she was a child. So when she starts feeling like people are treating her some way or judging her or cutting her down or criticizing her, she redirects her thinking pattern about it and says, no, that's an easy pattern to fall into. Maybe that person is feeling judged by someone else and they're taking it out on me. And she really totally tries to open her mind. Yeah. Don't take the bait, be above it and uh, redirect. You know, we don't have to get into this discussion or we don't have to fight about this right now. Let's do something else. Another one is to have an ally. I think this one is really important. Not necessarily to gang up on somebody else, which apparently probably happens a lot of times, but just to be able to help diffuse the situation that way. Maybe you did get heated with somebody and you need to take a break and go call somebody. But it's even something as simple as for my situation, my ally is either my sister-in-law or my mother-in-law. And when someone starts being kind of goofy at the table, we just like look at each other and you can make eye contact with someone and be like, 
okay, I'm not the only one who thinks yeah, this is crazy. We're all on the same page. Let them do what they're going to do. Kind right. Of thing. A lot of the stuff that comes up, old childhood dynamics, when discussions get heated, those family members who ask questions and then don't wait for your answer, they yeah. just immediately, immediately answer it themselves. Those are all kind of things that you have to worry about. One of the other things that Elizabeth put in an article was asking deep questions. And I also think this is really important. It yeah. takes you out of that superficial stuff. And a lot of times people want to connect with their family. Maybe they haven't seen each other in a long time, or maybe they see each other all the time, but they don't have the time to really sit down and connect again. Another great tip was to just zip it. One woman said <laughs> yes. that when she's dealing with family members who start talking about politics or just anything that drives her kind of cuckoo crazy, she says that she takes a deep breath remembers that these are people that she loves and tries to remember something good or kind or nice that she likes about them or that they've done for her and to keep from engaging. I think being quiet about a lot of stuff is well, what, you're not gonna change one of the anyone's most important mind. things. Yeah, I think that was the line. You're not going to change anybody's mind at Thanksgiving. You're not. And it's, it's true. probably true. That's why I stick to the other stuff. Being silly and playing games, I think that's one of the important ones also. It is time for family and togetherness, but you can have a lot of fun while you're at it. I, I think my Uncle Nick, he's that guy who comes in. He always has a crazy story. He's loud, <laughs> could be a little obnoxious sometimes, but that's part of the fun. It's just to see the spectacle that he's going off on, you know, whatever the story is, he makes it 10 times bigger than it is. It's enjoyable to see him and hear those things. That's been one of the best parts about having a kid. I just, I have a daughter who just turned two and it's fun to see the family gatherings now and how much the dynamic has changed now that there's a little kid around. Right. Everybody Especially says, oh, at the holidays. so cute and you want to dote on them and give them attention. Exactly. This will be her third Thanksgiving. It's awesome. Playing games are fun also, except Uno, because people savage. Start, start getting really angry. It's real savage. <laughs> How do you uh, handle these situations during the holidays? I'm a break taker. So before I had my daughter, I would be the one who'd like go to the bathroom and just sit on my phone for 25 minutes and be like, where's Miranda? Oh, uh, right here. I'm right here. So that's my that's my <laughs> thing is I'll go sit at night. I'm a hider. For myself, I always tend to either be the funny person or, you know, not that I'm very funny, but try to diffuse it that way. Or I will also calm everybody down and say, hey, you know, why are we fighting about this? Why are we arguing about this? And then my favorite thing to do now at the end is once everybody kind of calms down, I'll look to the two people. Let's say it's just two people and say, you know what? Go give that person a hug. Just go <laughs> hug it out. And then they're like, so you like to force intimacy. Oh, yeah. Got and it. then they're like, no, we're not going to do that. I was like, no, no, no. Go give them a hug and just end it. That means that it's over and we're not going to fight anymore. And then begrudgingly, they'll go do it. And you know what? It works. You know, the underrated personality type that didn't get put into this article was the helper. The one who goes up to whoever's hosting and says, you know what? Let me set the glasses or let me fill the glass with water. Let me do the dishes afterwards, because then you're away from the fray (laughs) and you're contributing. Be that person if you don't know what to be, be the helper. And you're probably one of the most appreciated people there also. because you're not getting involved in any drama. You're busy. Thanks, Miranda. Thanks, Oscar. Joining us now is Alicia Caldwell, immigration reporter for the Wall Street Journal. 
We've been following the story of the migrant caravan headed toward the U.S. border for some time now. It looks like they're getting closer. A lot of the migrants have made their way to Tijuana, Mexico now, where they were met with a very icy reception over the weekend. There was protesters in the streets saying, our poor first, no more caravans. Tell us a little bit about that reception there. There's a lot of tension both here in the United States and and in Tijuana over what to do with these folks. They're obviously not from either of these countries. They're primarily from Honduras, El Salvador, and Guatemala. I met a gentleman from Nicaragua last week when I was in Tijuana, but it's a mix of folks from Central America. And they're going to be in Tijuana for a while, assuming that they follow the U.S. government's instructions and wait for their turn to ask for asylum at the port of entry. It's going to be a long, long wait, though. Uh, There's already people who have been waiting in Tijuana for a month, month and a half. They started their wait when these folks started their trip north. And that's where the residents of Tijuana are really angry, I guess. They're saying, we don't have that many resources And if these people are going to be here for months, that's just going to put our poorest citizens in a bind there. The border inspectors process about 100 asylum claims per day. They said that there's this tattered notebook, kind of like an unofficial line where people are putting their name in, but that there was probably thousands of names in that book already prior to these people arriving. That process was started several months ago, or it came to the attention of reporters several months ago during the first caravan. It's maintained by a migrant themselves. Every day, new names are added. Some names are taken off. If you're the fortunate one, you walk into the port of entry. It's not quite your turn yet. You hang out in Tijuana and continue to wait. It's going to be a while. There's capacity for 300 people on any given day at any given moment at the San Isidro port of entry, but that number is fluid, meaning if somebody gets arrested at the port of entry, say they're accused of trying to smuggle something in or there's some other issue, they take away from that 300 number. If you have a family, they can't be housed with a single adult. If you have an unaccompanied child, they can't be held with other adults who are unrelated to them. So there's a mix going on on a daily basis of how to house people. And they're only supposed to be there for a couple of hours. Generally, they're they're there for up to 48 hours. With children, they have to have them moved along within 72 hours for unaccompanied children. So it's a scramble at the ports of entry as well as on the Mexican side of the border waiting for that room. The U.S. closed the busiest border crossing for several hours so that they can continue to harden the border, put up more fences with wire across the tops. And it does seem that the rhetoric from from the president is working right now. All these protesters are there. The mayor of Tijuana also saying that the city lacks all these resources. Update us real quick on some of the numbers now, because now people are saying that there could be 10,000 Central American migrants. This is including all of the caravans, though. The real answer is we don't know. There are many thousands of people who have been in Tijuana, some of them Mexican, some Central American. And don't forget, there's people from as far away as Africa. This is not just a, an issue of Central American caravanners, right? You have people who have come from all over the world and are, are seeking asylum in the United States, and they're coming through that port of entry at San Isidro. As you described, it's the busiest port. Generally, it's the busiest traffic port as well as vehicles. In addition to that, last fiscal year, which runs from September through October, the port of entry at San Isidro was the busiest by far for asylum seekers. And they're listed by the government as inadmissible. So it's people who don't have permission to come into the United States, yet they request permission. And in this case, the majority of those, I believe, were families, or certainly the largest number of families seeking asylum in the U.S. came through the port of entry at San Isidro. And according to government statistics, fewer than 20 percent of all asylum seekers are ultimately allowed to stay in the United States. So I have to assume that these people 
know that it's, it is an uphill battle for them and they know they have to wait months, but it's something that they're going to go through. Where do these people go when nobody wants you and you feel you have to leave your home country? It's a tough situation there. The government was also saying, hey, be careful. These aren't all families. There's a lot of young males, uh, adult or uh, teen males. There could be criminals among them. Everybody's throwing out stuff all over the place. Sure. And that's a really good description, throwing out stuff all over the place. This morning, some officials from the Department of Homeland Security briefed reporters on the caravan and, and the government's efforts to control on what they describe as, a, as an orderly process. They provided a figure of criminals in the group, in the caravan, but without any evidence or any understanding of how that number came to be or how the government came to that figure. In fact, an official said only that they had to protect their sources. So it's, it's entirely unclear because at the same time they're, they're citing criminals and potential dangers. The next statement was this is an unticketed, unmanifested group of travelers. So it's not like an airplane where an inbound American Airlines jet has, you know, 135 passengers. The government knows exactly who all 135 of those people are. In this case, they're correct. They don't know. And that does beg the question, if they don't know who's in the group, how do they know that there are 500 criminals? We don't know. We've asked the question. A number of reporters, including myself, have repeatedly asked that question. And, and we just don't know. So right now you have a whole bunch of people waiting in, in Tijuana. And we should be clear, you know, it's, it's not the whole of Tijuana that's protesting. <laughs> Over the weekend, it was a couple of hundred people. That's certainly not insignificant, but it's not the whole of Mexico or certainly the whole of Tijuana. Well, we're in the next step now. Migrants are starting to get there. They will start waiting in line. And, uh, you know, in their months long journey there to try to get asylum into the states. Alicia Caldwell, immigration reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. that she spoke with over the phone said, no, no, you're hired. You're hired by phone. No need to do that. And she said that when she came in on her first day of work, the manager told her, oh, you do look like your picture. Joining us now is Chip Cutter, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. It is the tightest job market in decades. Employers are trying to recruit at fast paces. They're trying to get you before somebody else snags you. Candidates are getting hired off of like a phone interview. You don't even have to come in in person, don't have to meet a human being, and they're offering you jobs. Chip, what do we know about this? Well, this trend really surprised me. And what we found in talking to workers in all different industries is that a number of people are being hired sight unseen, where you might have a single phone interview and get the job from there. So this is happening, for example, this holiday season at companies like Macy's, where people are getting in-store positions after sometimes a 20, 25-minute phone interview. But also, kind of in reporting the story out, I talked with teachers that have been hired this way. Yeah. There are examples of engineers, IT people. So it really kind of runs the gamut. And I think it all goes back to just how tight the economy is right now. Now, it makes sense that for holiday season workers, a lot of part-timers, it kind of makes sense that you would do a phone interview, but those are also the people that you need to talk to in person because if they're working in retail and that you need to make sure their people skills are up to par. So hiring them over the phone kind of seems counterintuitive to that. It really does. And I think that's what struck us as being kind of interesting about this. But I think the companies have made the calculation that they would rather take that risk that somebody may not present well in front of a customer or somebody may not work well on a team. They'd rather take that risk just to get them in the door. They know that even waiting a couple of days means that someone could go somewhere else and get a job elsewhere. So people say that time kills all deals. And I think a lot of recruiters just want to snag someone while they can, while they're interested, and then they'll do something if they need to, if the person doesn't work out. But I think they really just don't want to chance it that the person might end up at another employer. One of the funny things from the people that you were talking to is these employees themselves, the people that are getting hired, also feel a little awkward about the whole interaction. They're like, is this a scam? Are you sure? You don't want me to come?
come in. I'll drive the hour and a half or something to get there if I have to do a real interview. And so they're thrown off by it also. They really are. I mean, the one person I spoke with, she's a, she's a college student in Texas, and she offered to drive 90 minutes for that job. She got a job at Bath and Body Works. And the person that she spoke with over the phone said, no, no, you're hired. You're hired by phone. No need to do that. And she said that when she came in on her first day of work, the manager told her, oh, you do look like your picture. And so uh, <laughs> I think she was a little bit startled by that. And a number of people I spoke with said they just didn't expect it. I mean, they have memories of the Great Recession when it was so hard to get a job. So this idea that you could talk on the phone for 20, 25 minutes and get a job offer, it just seems crazy to a lot of them. But certainly people aren't complaining. And, and there are kind of advantages of this. People said that they felt like there was not bias in hiring this way and that they appreciated that it was an efficient way to get a job. So they might be startled, but I think they're ultimately not complaining that they got work so fast. We've talked about the notion of ghosting, but at work before on the podcast. Uh, and I think you wrote an article specifically addressing that stuff before. Don't you think this kind of contributes to that where, hey, they just hired me on the phone real quick. Maybe the day comes I'm supposed to report for work tomorrow. You know what? I got a better offer. or I don't want to even go in anymore. The ghosting trend is so interesting. This idea that people would just stand recruiters up for it, for coffees or interviews or accept the job and just never show up for the first day of work. I think there is a sense of that, that detachment. And, and even some people I spoke with for this story, people who had been hired by phone, they left their jobs within a period of months. I mean, the one person I spoke with was on the job, I think, for about a month, a month and a half. And so certainly there isn't really that feeling of loyalty, I think, on, on either side. But I think companies are willing to put up with that. They know ghosting is an issue they have to contend with. They also know they have to contend with the fact that there is just a limited pool of workers for some of these positions. So they'll come up with more creative ways to get them in the door. And I think experts are quick to point out that just because you have a really long hiring process or just because you do lots of in-person interviews, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a better candidate. So in some ways, you know, experts have said it's not crazy for companies to abandon these in-person interviews altogether. There's a million more job openings right now than there are unemployed Americans. I think it's just one of those things to caution. The job market is, is hot right now. There's a lot of jobs out there, but you can't get into this kind of complacency thing where, hey, you know, I'm always going to be able to find a job. You have to be respectful of the process also. Uh, so don't get caught off guard how, how easy it is to get a job now because in the future it might not be like that. That's absolutely right. And this could turn within a period of months or years. Recruiters have long memories. They know that the hiring market is cyclical. They have said that the people that have ghosted them or treated them poorly, they will remember when it's a different cycle when recruiters and the companies have the upper hand. I mean, right now it's the workers with, with all the options, which I think a lot of people are very happy to see. But like you said, this could easily change uh, if the economy uh, turns. And so I think having good behavior, being respectful in all parts of the interview process, I think those are all just kind of good lessons to remember no matter how hot the job market might be right now. One of the funniest examples that you had in your article was a guy who called in for, you know, he was going to do a phone interview and then he actually called and there was no human on the line. It was just kind of like a phone questionnaire that they wanted them just talk about yourself and things like that. Are companies seeing downsides to these types of practices? This example, I, I was really struck by. And so he was applying for a job at Gate Gourmet, which is an airline caterer. And he had to do about a 10-minute phone interview as part of that. And so this interview was asking him to describe things like talk about your future plans and explain why you want this job. And I think we've all been in those phone interviews where you have, you know, you have a two-sided exchange. You say something, the recruiter says say something back. Here, it was just him talking. He'd press the pound key when he was done with his answer and go on to the next question. The people I've spoke with who've taken these kinds of interviews, you know, 
universally loathe them. They say that they just feel that these are impersonal and tough to get through. So that was certainly the way he felt. He said, you can't have a conversation with a robot. And then what he found is not only did he take this automated interview, he then arrived for what he thought was an in-person interview with this company. And instead of that, he said it was ultimately kind of what he described as a signing day where they just got there. They were quickly told, oh, no, you, you guys have the jobs. This really is not an interview. And then they went in for their drug testing and that and that sort of things. So I think it's just these automated interviews are just another sign of, of just how the job market is shifting. Chip Cutter, reporter for The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Thanks for your time. All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive.